Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, September the 11th. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting service that you desire. We're pretty much everywhere. Hope everybody's doing well. Mets just completed a three-game series with the Braves. Two out of three, a successful Four and uh, well, excuse, excuse me, five and one uh, road trip, and they come home. Uh, they continue it in Washington. So uh, regardless, they'll come home with a winning road trip. Of course, today is somber day, 15th anniversary, September 11th, the attacks and what have you. So if um, you know that's that's obviously something that we're not going to get too much into here. But if you're impacted by it, of course, we're all thinking of you and uh, and hope you're doing well. Uh, baseball is a good opportunity to get your if you can get your mind off of some of the uh, everyday things that go on in this world. And, uh, you know, a lot to talk about because as the weeks have gone on and, and you go all the way back to when, not that I wrote the Mets off, but you go back to the uh, the trade deadline, very unlikely that I thought I'd be sitting here because of the way the Mets were playing uh, with the Mets a half game up against the Cardinals in uh, the wild card race. And they have the opportunity, a very realistic opportunity to overtake the San Francisco Giants and actually host a wild card game. So a lot has happened uh, in a couple of big weeks, uh, weeks where there was really no margin of error and the Mets played outstanding. Now, Michael Mayer is going to join me in just a little bit. I had a chance to talk to Michael before today's ball game. He covers um, the Mets Miners for Mets Memorized Online at a, a sister site, MetsMiners.net. And we'll get into uh, some of the prospects, now that the minor league season is over, some of the prospects that stand out to him. But more importantly, the Mets have really done well. And, and that's really the theme here, the replace the Mets, if you want to call them, on the depth side. They've acquired some depth this year, James Loney, Kelly Johnson. But you saw again today with the Seth Lugo, uh, you know, how Robert Gazelman, even though he didn't pitch that great uh, in the first game of the series, has contributed Josh Smoker now has been called on to get big outs uh, for for the Mets. So the Mets have been able to dip into the farm system. Even a Matt Reynolds, who who knows if he's anything more than a 4A player, had a big hit earlier in the week. Brandon Nimmo at times has um, you know has shown some promise. So it has been the depth that has really carried the Mets through. So Michael's going to talk a little bit about the system. We'll get into that. He has a real good feel about these guys and. I'm curious his thoughts because he's been a big Seth Lugo fan for a while. 
specifically with Lugo, if he if he's surprised at what he sees, uh, you know, even today when he had a chance to implode, Lugo buckled down and got out of it. So he's been in a really important part of this rotation. And in a time when you really could use a Steven Match, you really could use Jacob deGrom, Seth Lugo really hasn't given you anything much different than what those guys would. Maybe it looks different. Maybe the outcome and the way it goes about it is different. And maybe he doesn't have the hype and certainly the experience that those guys do, uh, at least in the case of deGrom, but yeah, he's getting the job done. So we'll have Michael Mayer on, a, ch- a chance to hear that. I had a chance to catch up with him right before the ball game. But let me, let me start how critical. I don't, every game is important now. But this week coming up, now the last time I told you this was when the Mets had the four-game series against Miami. I said, it's just, they have to get ahead of that team. They have to get ahead of Miami. They had to get ahead of Pittsburgh. And they accomplished that within that week. They really stepped up and they did that. Now, they've gotten themselves in a position where now they're in the wild card. If the season ended today, they would be in a one-game playoff. They'd be traveling out to the West Coast to face San Francisco uh, and a tough place to play in a one-game playoff. So, uh, you know, the Mets have really put themselves in a position now with a couple of weeks, two to three weeks left in the season, that they are exactly, not exactly where you want them to be, but based, like I said, on the situation with, that they're in, you've got to feel good. Now, this week is important for a couple of reasons. First, you have uh, a chance to fatten up against Minnesota later in the week. Uh, you have the series against the Nats. The Nats, yeah, do they want to clinch the division, but I don't know if the intensity is quite going to be there with Strasburg out. You have Matt Latos in the rotation. Um, you know, I, I think you have a good opportunity to take two out of three from that club. I don't think it's going to be as intense as it would have been if this was you know, a couple of games or the Nats are trying to catch the Mets or vice versa and what have you. But more importantly, the Giants and the Cardinals are playing each other later in the week, four-game series. So you're going to gain ground on one of those teams when, you, when, when the night's over. And the Cardinals are facing the Cubs, so maybe the Cubs could give the Mets some help. So this is a chance where the schedule's favorable. The Mets are playing a Washington team that's just looking to get themselves ready for the postseason. Then they play a Twins team that conceivably is dead. I'm not sure that some of these other uh, cellar dwellers are going to play quite as hard as the Braves did this weekend. You certainly didn't see that against Cincinnati. So the Mets could really get uh, themselves going and make some hay this week. But make no mistake about it, you know, everybody wants to talk about, and I, and I don't want to make this about Terry Collins, but it's important for me to at least bring this up. Everybody wants to keep giving Terry Collins credit for, oh, he's keeping the team together, and uh, you know, if it wasn't for him and all the injuries, and you know, where would they be if Terry wasn't doing such a great job as a manager? You hear that all the time, even with the booth. You know, I, know, I love Keith Hernandez, but the way he, he gushes about Terry makes me wonder you know, if he's watching the same team as I am. Terry Collins has, has very little to do with the Mets are. There's a couple of reasons why the Mets are where they are. Number one, you ain't assessed, but it's coming back and playing every bit that dynamic MVP that we've talked about. And the second reason is, is you've had guys replace, come in, and step up. Like I said, uh, James Loney had a hot... Now, he's, you know, he's, he was uh, hot for a while, and when he didn't get hot, you had someone come in uh, you know, like a, um, a Kelly Johnson, Jose Reyes, Say Aza has had a chance to step up when he's had an opportunity to play. You saw T.J. Rivera get a big hit yesterday. That probably would have been a game winner if uh, if the game was managed properly. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, at times, Matt Reynolds has had big games. You've had guys step up, like I said, Seth Lugo and 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 Robert Gazelman. Even for a while, Logan Verrett had stepped up and, and, and given you some quality starts. And to a lesser extent, Rafael Montero, who has not been good, um, has gone in there and competed and what have you, and Josh Smoker coming out of the pen. So, 
you've got a number of the players that you would not expect contribution now contributing. And that's what makes for a good ball club. Now, you could say, well, the manager has to put them in positions to be successful. Well, in this case, they had no choice. When you lose a Neil Walker, you have no choice. You've got to go to a Wilmer Flores. You've got to go to a, a Kelly Johnson. When you lose David Wright, you know, why not bring in Jose Reyes? When you lose Juan Lagares, you've got to go to Deaza. You've got to go to these guys. There's no other option. So, it, it, you know, to credit Terry Collins, I think, is a little bit of a stretch there. But what you saw this weekend, and weekend where the Mets took two out of three and they won five of six to start off the road trip, is really what the biggest threat to the Mets is, and that's Terry Collins. What you saw yesterday, Saturday night, first, not pinch running for Flores, but more egregiously, like if, if his rationale for that situation was simply, I wanted to keep his bat in the lineup, I ne- wouldn't necessarily have a, a problem with that because it makes sense. The Mets, you start to get down and you replace with an Eric Campbell and stuff like that. You, you get to a deep extra inning game, you start to have dead, dead outs in the lineup, and you don't want that. But for him to say that the reason that he didn't make the change uh, with Flores pinch running is that he was distracted because he was trying to line up the pitching staff, forget the fact that you got a, a coaches in that dugout to help you out. Collins is the manager, ultimately. That, to me, is just absolutely borderline unconscionable. It's a fireable offense. And if I'm the general manager, I'm sitting here saying, you know, we've heard so many weird things out of this man's mouth from – not knowing that Jay Bruce was a slow runner and not pinch running for him back in the Detroit series to this situation with Flores, um, you know, to really just so many instances where he's mismanaging the, the, the bullpen to times when he's openly admitted that his players may not be out there competing. This has been such a poor managerial job by Terry Collins this year. And it's really not anything different than 2015, 2014, 2013, or 2012 or 2011. He's been a bad manager the whole time. It's just now, not only is he a bad manager, it's happening more frequently, it's happening in important games, and he's admitting to it. So, I mean, this is just a difference that in the past where if they were 15 games out of first place, he made a crazy move to blow a game, nobody really cared. It may come up, it may come in passing. And the thing that drives me the nuts the most is that Keith Hernandez and Gary Cohen applaud him for admitting to the mistake while he fell on his sword well, guys, falling on his sword is great, but why did he have to? Because to me, a lot of this stuff is common sense. Managing a baseball team, sure. Managing personalities and getting guys with egos and money and all the other things that come with the dynamic of 25 different men from different backgrounds and, and what have you, that, that's, that's difficult, but that's the basis of the job. Like, If you hire someone that you're not sure could do that, and unfortunately, I think a lot of these front offices do that these days, you already got yourself a problem. Then, then, you, then you're already failing at the, at, the, at the concept of manager. The baseball stuff, it gets tricky once in a while, but it's not that hard. Baseball is not rocket science. Once you get to know your roster, you start to slot guys into certain scenarios. It's, it's repetition. It really is. It's not, it, it's, it doesn't take a lot. Um, across the board, you have to question this coaching staff. And I'll tell you what, guys, it's not, I don't mean to rain on what could be an exciting parade because it's really fun to see. It's important for the development of this uh, franchise to compete and possibly even just get into a playoff game because they've overcome so much this year. There's been so much have, has gone wrong. And when you have this small window of opportunity, I keep going back to it, you never know. You get into that tournament, you never know. 
This is the year maybe they go and, and they win it all and, and you wouldn't have expected it. You didn't expect it last year, but they were lined up so much better going into the postseason than they will be this year, especially considering you don't know what you're going to get out of the ground and mats the rest of the year, and you lost your second baseman, and you lost your third baseman. Your catching situation has been a mess. I mean, there's just so much ifs, Conforto, and what's happened there. But the biggest threat to the Mets down the stretch over the next few weeks is the manager. He's dangerous when it comes to managing the bullpen. He does not think well on his feet. You know, the old adage that says, you know, the manager should be thinking two, three steps ahead or an inning ahead or two innings ahead. He doesn't do that. You get exactly him reacting to the situation on the spot. And a lot of times he's like a deer in the headlights. And if this team manages to either, A, not make the playoffs by a game, or you're out in San Francisco watching the Mets play out in San Francisco in a tough environment for a one-game playoff because they missed out by a game, you're going to remember Saturday night. You're going to remember what happened Saturday night. But I could tell you, I could rattle off probably half a dozen to ten instances throughout the year where he made some egregious decisions, which really just came down to feel for the game. Now, if you watch this team day in and day out, I'm not in the dugout, but if you watch the team day in and day out and you have that feel, and the guy who's not only watching this day in and day out, he's living it, he's in that dugout, doesn't, to me that's mind-boggling. Now, he'll probably come back, especially if they make the playoffs. I think he's, he saved his job at the very least here. I don't know. i got to tell you something. Something's going to go down, and something's going to go wrong, and he's going to be at the center of it, and I hope I'm wrong, but I keep telling you that. I keep telling you guys to go back to game four of the World Series. And something just something's going to go bad, and he's going to be the reason for it, and he's going to ruin what really can be. I mean, he nearly ruined what, what would have been a really positive show. If they had lost today, this would have been a totally different show, a totally different turn for the road trip, a totally different turn for the week. Fortunately, the Mets came out with their bats. The Braves just are totally undermanned, and that's what happens when you play a bad team. They can get up only so many days, but eventually you're going to run into a dead spot in their rotation, and you're going to clobber them, and that's what you saw today. This is like the Braves team from the 80s. You know, they would hit a little bit. They 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 break your chops a little bit, but at the end of the day, they had not. They didn't have enough pitching, and and, and you'd smack them around if it really came down to it. So anyway, um, that's where we're at. I think everybody agrees it'll be very interesting at this time next week where the Mets are at. They could be in a really good spot, really solidified, a little bit of a cushion as much as you can have at this time of the year in a three-team race, and and really set themselves up potentially. I mean, they have each opportunity to host a wild-card playing game, and that to me was something that I didn't think just two weeks ago was even feasible. I mean, we were talking two weeks ago about getting ahead of uh, Miami and Pittsburgh and then trying to put yourself in a position to make a push against the Cardinals. Forget about the Giants. Now they have the Giants right there in their rear. The Giants, as of this recording, are tied. The Cardinals have lost. They've moved ahead of them. And then those teams are playing each other uh, later this week, so... It'll be interesting. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, when I return, you'll hear I had a chance to catch up with Michael Mayer of MetsMarizeOnline.com. He, uh, he does some work for MetsMiners.net. Let's get into the Mets minor league system. Let's hear some of the performances that uh, were part of this year. Let's talk a little bit about some of the replacement Mets that have come in and really helped this team compete and now thrive and, and put them in a situation where on the, they're on the precipice of uh, becoming the first wild card and, uh, and making what really a, it could be considered an unlikely run. So Michael Mayer, who was on the program earlier this year, will join us, and you'll have a chance to hear that interview I conducted before today's ballgame. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. 
You can listen to the show all the time at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Check us out on iTunes, and you can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And Cespedes drives one to deep left field, headed toward the, the wall. It's out of here! Yoannis Cespedes with a grand slam, and the Mets have a 5-0 lead. Another feat of strength for Cespedes, his 30th home run of the year, and the Mets get the big blow they need. We're back, Talking Mets podcast here, and uh, joining me, he was on the show earlier this year. Uh, you can check him out over at MetsMorizedOnline.com, also uh, the sister site, MetsMiners.net, at the main Mets on Twitter, Michael Mayer. Mike, uh, nice having you on again. Uh, season flew by fast. Amazing. Minor league baseball over. We're in the final uh, weeks of uh, the pennant race here. Uh, amazing how quickly it's gone. Yeah, it has gone by quickly, and it's uh, it's pretty sad not to have any minor league baseball left, but uh, good thing the Mets have got themselves back in the race to have something interested in, that's for sure. Yeah, and I was thinking of you this week because we had we had planned on getting together last week, and then we switched it off, and then the news uh, came down, and and I know it's not really you know huge news if you really put it in a in a vacuum, but the Mets, and I was surprised they signed Tim Tebow, and uh, you know you had some opinions on Twitter about it. It's, it's funny the the media is going to turn it into more than what it really is, and I think the Mets kind of nipped that in the bud the other day. It's starting to die down. Um, you know, from a baseball perspective, it really it doesn't matter. It's not going to impact the Mets. It could only be a positive if he actually has some talent and can work his way through the system. But for those who really may not understand how the minor league system works, I mean, it, it, they're acting as if this guy is, is, is getting in the way of somebody. And I don't think those that, that aren't following minor league baseball closely, I don't think they understand how many filler bodies there are up and down an organization. And he, right now, that's what he is. He's a filler body. Yeah, I mean... The Mets every year have three or four guys they sign during the season at an independent ball just to fill the roster at Binghamton, sometimes a guy or two at Vegas, and a guy or two at St. Lucie. So, and, I mean, those are levels that it's likely, it's unlikely that Tebow's even going to play at. So then you get to the lower levels in the rookie league ball, and you have a bunch of guys that are never even going to reach double-A. So the whole he's going to block someone thing is... It's it's kind of just pushing a narrative, really. For sure, and uh, and it is interesting because I don't know how much you have read up on him, but all I've read about him, and I do find it an interesting signing for Sandy Alderson. I mean, other than the fact that he's got raw power, which which means he could hit batting practice home runs, some of the other skills, the the five tools, so to speak, really don't translate all that well. So for a guy that you know, was a top college athlete, uh, NFL quarterback. Uh, he's an athlete. He has a good body, but his skills in terms of translating to baseball, I haven't read many great things about his many of his tools other than the raw power. Yeah, I mean, it's been, what, I think 13 years since he's played, and he actually, there's some scouts that thought he would have got drafted for baseball had he played again his um, senior year in high school, but... Again, we're talking about 13 years ago, and quite a bit. His uh, body's quite a bit different than it was back then, too. I mean, it's it's going to be a tough transition for him to be able to go out there and 
try to play the outfield every day. Even being as athletic as he is, it's it, there's a difference between being athletic and being able to track a fly ball. Absolutely, I could <laughs> I could attest to that on a very low level, uh, for sure. So uh, I have Michael Mayer with us uh, at the the main Mets on Twitter, uh, MetsMiners.net. Uh, you can check him out at MetsMiners.online.com. Uh, let's get to you know when we talk about the minor league system, let's start with the big league team because a couple of weeks ago I said it's going to be necessary for the first wave of these Sandy Alderson draft picks from 2011 and 2012 that are starting to be brought up, starting to contribute, to play big parts of this team if they were going to make, at that time, I felt an unlikely run to a playoff spot. I felt they had put themselves in such a bad position because of how they played throughout the summer. Um, I was wrong, and, and, and coming into, obviously, we're, we're doing this uh, conversation right before the Mets take on the Braves and the rubber game of uh, the three-game series. The Mets are half game out of the second wild card. It, it, with the schedule and what have you, it looks pretty good for them to have at least a decent shot, if not be the favorite, to get into that play-in game. Um, guys like Seth Lugo, Robert Gazelman, uh, Josh Smoker, who was a former first-round pick who was picked off the scrap heap, uh, have played big parts. You know, T.J. Uh, uh, Rivera with a big hit uh, uh, last night, and he's play, You know, in this short time he's played, he shows he could do what everyone thought he could do, which is uh, which is swing the bat. Um, you know, are you surprised at the contributions? I know you've always been a Seth Lugo fan, but I mean, who would have thought that guys like Jacob Degrom and Steven Matz could go down? And from an off, you know, from a pitching standpoint. Mets haven't really lost a beat, and, and, and they're giving them exactly what you would want. And in some cases, uh, in the case of Lugo, they're giving you uh, just as good, if not better, than what you were getting from those two guys. Yeah, I mean, I I was as high on Lugo as just about anyone was, but I still think I'm still surprised at how well he's pitched. And, I mean, there's there's nothing to suggest that right now that it's not going to continue because he's thrown his curveball well, which – everyone knows now because of the spin rate they've been talking about. I mean, that's it's a plus-plus pitch. It's probably the best curveball in the, the entire Mets organization. And Gazelman hasn't been as sharp, but, I mean, he's gone out there and given the Mets a chance to win every time and had a couple of good starts. So, I mean, and like you were talking about Alderson's draft, both of these guys are from his first draft class in 2011, so it's it's nice to see some contributions from that. The guy that confuses me, and I want to be fair because I, you know, I didn't realize how little baseball he had played when he was brought in as an older signee, uh, international signee when Alderson took over, um, is Rafael Montero. I mean, he was positioned as a guy, and in a lot of ways I thought he'd be better than Zach Wheeler. A lot of command, attack the strike zone, uh, exactly what you're looking for. A lot of times, don't give me 150 strikeouts. You know, 15 strikeouts a game. I don't need that. I need a guy who's going to, uh, you know, sure you want to miss bats, but you want someone who's going to go after hitters, uh, you know, command their pitches, uh, you know, walk, don't walk a lot of batters, and, and you could be successful. He's been anything but that. And he's going to get another start next week. Uh, the walk rate is alarming. He doesn't seem to attack the strike zone. Uh, even though he's made, well, he was, was positioned that he was sent down to double A, getting out of Vegas, and he was pitching better. I don't see Rafael Montero pitching all that much better, maybe slightly better than his first round, but uh, he's been a huge disappointment. And, and anytime he takes the mound, you got to think it's going to be a game the Mets are going to need to score some runs, and you're not going to get a lot of length out of the uh, the starting uh, pitcher. 
Yeah, it's it's too bad when he was in Double A and dominating. I, I, I mean, I really thought he was going to be a number two, number three for the Mets because he did exactly what, at the time, he did exactly what Lugo and Gazelman are doing. Pounded, pounded the strike zone, went after hitters, regressive. But I mean, he he's gotten out of that now, and I know he got a win in his first start. He threw five scoreless, and he threw decent last time, but. It, the Mets are just playing with fire by throwing him out there. He, he doesn't have any control. He doesn't attack people with his fastball, and uh, it, it's too bad to see. But I just, I just think every time you're throwing him out there now, you're uh, putting pressure on the offense and the bullpen for that matter. But they don't have a ton of options right now. I mean, they're they've already gone through quite a few of their starters in the minors, so. Well, do do you feel Montero and and look, you don't want to say you give up on him, but he is 25 years old. Um, it, going back down to Double A from, it, despite of the fact I know it's Vegas, is not exactly a ringing endorsement. He hasn't shown any uh, uh, ability to, comp- to to be like somebody like we just said. That's a guy I trust in a, in, a, in a either a big league bullpen or in the rotation. I'm not saying this is it for him. I'm not saying it's bottom of the ninth and the Mets are going to give up on him, but you've got to start to wonder if this is ever going to come together and um, and whether the Mets are going to count on him or even keep him on the roster. Uh, I'm not saying they'll release him, but if he can be a throw-in in a deal, uh, I just don't know if there's a future here. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Is it is it too soon to say that? No, I, d- I don't think so at all. To me, this offseason is, I mean, one way or another, I, I think you'll probably – not be in the Mets organization anymore. I mean, they they've got some guys they have to add to the 40-man roster this year to protect them from the Rule Five, and a couple of those guys I would much rather have in the organization than him. So, I mean, maybe he's salvaged some value with a couple of decent starts in the major leagues. So maybe you see him as a throw-in for, I don't know, some sixth, seventh-inning reliever or something like that. But yet, I I don't think we see him in a Mets uniform next year one way. Or the other, unless he makes it through waivers. But I, he, he's still he's still fairly young, so I could see someone picking him up on waivers. I have with me Michael Mayer uh, at the main Mets on Twitter, uh, MetsMiners.net, over at MetsMarsOnline.com. Covers a lot of minor league baseball, watches a lot of games, doesn't just look at the stats, the numbers, and uh, he's a good follow. So uh, so check him out. Before I get to some of the uh, the top guys in the minors this year and some of the performances that stood out. You mentioned the 40-man roster, and the Mets are going to need, and you saw that uh, with Bowman in St. Louis. Mets have a lot of talent. I think they're proving that uh, with these uh, these call-ups, that it, it, it wasn't just about uh, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, these guys. Mets have some depth. Maybe these guys aren't going to be all-stars, but they could be useful pieces to a roster, especially when you're trying to control costs and you have some uh, some big uh, some big salaries here, especially with Cespedes that you need to address. Who are some of these 40-man guys that the Mets could potentially lose and have some decisions to make? And do you anticipate them losing someone like a Bowman? Uh, they lost Michael Bowman to St. Louis again going into next year. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple obvious ones like Gavin Schkini, Ahmed Rosario. They're obviously going to get added to the 40-man to protect them. But then you get into some other guys like um, Paul Seawall for one. He's a reliever. He's actually been the closer for the 51s this year. and I mean, had a great year. And he's had great years all the way coming up through for the Mets. But And I thought he was a guy that they were going to add to the 40 and call up for September. But they didn't. So he's 
if they don't protect him, which it doesn't look like they're going to, he's the type of guy that I could definitely see get drafted and pitch in the sixth, seventh inning for some team just like Bowman's done for the Cardinals this year. Man, high strikeout rate, uh, 11 strikeouts per nine this year, and Vegas ERA of 3.29. Uh, that's pretty good for Las Vegas. I mean, there's a guy that has dominated every level, and if you take the Vegas numbers, um, you know that, that ERA is probably a lot lower, but that's a lot of missed bats, and the walk rate isn't too bad either. No, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people are concerned since he tops out in the low 90s that once he hits Vegas that he was going to get knocked around a little bit, and he did the opposite of that. I mean, for a guy like him, striking out 80 in 65 innings is pretty damn impressive. And a lot of it's because he has an absolutely great slider. So I, he, he's a guy I would have up with the Mets right now. I mean, I'd honestly rather see him pitching in a game than Jim Henderson at this point, but that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. So there's definitely some decisions there to be made. Um, you brought up, uh, and I want to get to Med Rosario and Dominic Smith, because those are the guys that are going to headline the uh, the organization right now and, and the guys who can make the most impact long term. But Gavin Cicini is a guy that uh, he was drafted high. You know, There were some questions about him throughout his minor league tenure. I know we talked about him, I believe, the last time you came on. Now he's been brought up. On-base guy, contact guy, uh, you know, not the home run profile that you were going to get from Neil Walker at second base or even uh, a Struble Cabrera at shortstop. I, I know the defense has come to question. Um, and I don't, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Is it the errors? Is it the range? Uh, you know, offensively, I think he would fit in this lineup a little bit better than a Walker because he's going to give you that on-base, that contact uh, component that they really don't get throughout some of the other parts of the lineup. It may have been an issue for them at times this year. Uh, I don't know what we're going to see him uh, at this point. I, I don't think Terry Collins has any plans to play him very much uh, while they're, you know, they're still competing for a spot. But what about, what are your thoughts? Is, is this the guy that can replace uh, Neil Walker? And, uh, you know, what about his defense? Cause that's what you hear about the biggest concern out there. Yeah. As soon as the Mets um, traded Dilson Herrera, that my thoughts went exactly to Chikini possibly getting a chance next year. Assuming, well, because you just don't know what's going to happen with Walker. You don't know if they're going to give him a qualifying offer now because of the back surgery. You don't know if he's going to return or not. So I see I see Cicchini as one of the best options there because, like you said, he puts the ball in play, he hits the ball to all fields, and he doesn't strike out. I mean, that, it's, that's sort of some, something that's missing in the current Mets offense, even with them hitting well right now. But on the defense, um, he played better. He had a better... August to September, he cut down on the errors a little bit, and he. I watched him a couple of games at second. He, I mean, it's still a new position for him, but he he looked pretty comfortable over there. The errors have mostly. He's admitted that it's mostly been a mental thing, that kind of started from a a couple of wild throws. Part of the issue with him is he he likes to double tap, and then once he does that, he has to rush his throw, and uh, that that's kind of what got him into it. They, I don't see any range with the issue or the hands. He's got quick hands or him um, turning double plays. So I think I think he'll be a good second baseman. And, I mean, I don't like to – I've used this comparison before. He's he's kind of like a young, young Daniel Murphy because he puts the ball in play and he has doubles power. And he's, he's definitely a question mark on defense. 
Interesting comparison. Uh, do you think TJ Rivera has uh, a big league future with the Mets? I mean, defensively, I don't think he's ever going to uh, stand out. But I liked his at-bat yesterday. He went the other way, hit the ball hard. It seems like I still think he's a guy that the, the knock that's going to be on, I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to hit for a- average. I think he's going to hit line drives. I don't know if he's going to wow anybody with a lot of power. I know it's too soon. I know it's very soon. But um, he's an interesting uh, player, and I mean, at the very least, I think he could stick with uh, with the team as a guy off the bench that could play a lot of positions, right-handed bat, and uh, and I don't see anything wrong with that. And I think that really where his future lies. Yeah, I think. I mean, he's a 24th, 25th guy on the roster, and like you said, he's he's going to put the ball in play. He doesn't strike out much, and he can he can play. He's played every infield position, and he's even played some left this year. So he's. He's that, I mean, he's that Eric Eric Campbell type of guy off the bench with, I mean, it's possible that he has a little more offensive potential than Campbell. So, I mean, I, I could see him as one of the Mets bench guys next year. Yep. And I, I'm looking at the 40-man roster right now. So, uh, if there is concerns about finding room, you know, I could see some room right here. I mean, you look at, obviously, Jim Henderson, who knows if he's going to be back. Uh, Rene Rivera, you know, I mean, love to have him, but I don't know if you have to give him a 40-man spot. Um, you know, you look at uh, Ty Kelly. I don't know if that's a guy you want to have on there. Eric Campbell. Uh, you know, Deaz is going to be a free agent. Uh, I don't. You know, Suspicious potential. His spot could be up there too. You don't want it to be. Uh, that does not include though. There's a ton of 60-day DL guys the Mets have due to Harvey, uh, Ruggiano, Walker, Wheeler, right? I mean, so th- you're, this 40 man. It was a good point you made. This 40 man could be a problem. You know, it's 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 one of the reasons why you have the rules the way they are. You want to give minor league players a shot. You don't want to get buried down there. But um, it's not going to be that easy. You may lose again someone of quality that uh, you don't want to lose. It's it's a it's a it's a loaded forty man roster in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. And like you said, once some of those guys they have to come off the sixty before you do the rule five. So, and there is there's some guys that are going to be free agents like Diaz and Loney. And a couple other guys, but uh, yeah, they're gonna have some tough choices to make because they have a couple of no-brainers they have to add, like we already talked about with Chikini and Rosario, and then yeah, they have to think about adding guys like um, Marcus Molina, Chris Flexen, two lower-level pitchers, but uh, they have great arms, and then you have Tomas Nito, who a catcher from St. Lucie, who won the batting title down there and is having a breakout year and he's got to get added or hmm. it's right. up for them to decide if he's got to be added. So that's, that's a big one for them. And then you have champ Stewart who finished the year in double A and, uh, he didn't hit well, but he's got 80 grade speed and is a great defensive center fielder. And it's actually, I mean, we actually wrote a story on him at Mets minors that the Mets should have called him up for September because he's, I mean, he could have played that Eric Young role. So they they definitely have some tough questions. And I I I can't forget Philip Evans. He has to get added to uh, infielder for Binghamton, who actually won the Eastern League batting title on the last day. So he's another guy that has to get added, or he would be subject to the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that all these guys, uh, and this is the big league Rule 5 draft, not the minor league one. I mean, this is, uh, they'd have to stick with an organization, you know, and, uh, Thomas Nito it brings back, uh, it flashes back to Jesus Flores, who could have been a painful loss for the Mets. Turned out that his career fizzled out, but to watch the Nationals out of 
out of uh, St. Lucie. He played for St. Lucie, and they drafted him, and they were so bad they kept him on the roster. I mean, that's the concern you have. Uh, Anito, who is uh, 22 years old, a uh, bad team. Would they pick him up, stash him on the roster, not care if he hits, and, and try to uh, add some talent? With the way the game is today, you could see that because there's so many teams that are just obviously not out there competing. So if they're not going to win, they're not going to compete. Why not do it with somebody who may be a little bit over their head but uh, has some future potential? So that is going to be an interesting one at a premium position catcher, which you would say, well, you have Darno. You know, you don't know. You don't know what Plowecki and Darno are because they just give you so many question marks. So that's an interesting one. That's going to be a tough one because um, I don't I don't know. Even though he's had a good year, it, it doesn't seem like it, coming out of high A that he's ready to, to contribute consistently on a big league level. Yeah, no, he's – I mean, I think he'll be one of the toughest decisions for the Mets, but to me, if it's me, I he's a no-brainer ad for me, and it's not just because of the batting title. It's because of his defense, too. He's been a great defender this year, and he's thrown out 43% of uh, would-be base dealers, too. So it, he's, he's not a one-dimensional guy, and uh, he gets rave reviews on his pitch framing and working with pitchers, too. So, I mean, what's to stop the Phillies from – drafting him and having him play behind Cameron Rupp all year and just having him catch 25, 30 games. I mean, what do they lose by doing that? So well, Absolutely absolutely nothing. That's, that's a very, and that's a very likely scenario, and that's almost the um, downside of being a contender. You just, you're going to lose. I mean, you saw it with Bowman. Now, you can make the argument that Bowman's a guy you'd rather have in the bullpen right now than Robles. I mean, I've never been a big Robles fan. Um He's closing games out there at times for St. Louis, and, and he was a highly rated, highly lauded of prospect. I remember Jeff Wilpon telling some uh, WR employees at a, at a get-together just two years ago, he thought he was the next to Grom, and look, they, had, they couldn't find room for him. So this yeah. is a tough situation for the Mets. No one's feeling sorry for them. It's a good thing to have this depth, but it creates um, – you, you have to rely on your talent evaluation. You have to really be on top of this, and you have to make some decisions that do you really need that veteran – uh, and I and I don't want to pick on Jim Henderson, a guy like that who could help you right now, but is he or someone like that much of an upgrade over some of these other names you've talked about? Well, and that's the thing, like you said, now that, I mean, the Mets have a better team in the last year, two years, they've been playoff, cont- well, World Series contender last year and playoff contender this year. It's It means your 40-man roster is going to be better. It's going to have more talent, and it's going to be tougher to add guys like Bowman and uh it, it makes it tougher to some decisions. I mean, we didn't even talk about a guy like Ricky Knapp, who this is the first year he would have to be added to get protected. And he pitched for St. Lucie, Binghamton, and Las Vegas this year and was fantastic. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys, they have talent that, I mean, could be on 10 or 12 teams, 40-man rosters right now because, the Mets have a pretty strong 40-man roster, so it's it's tough to squeeze these guys in, and there's a good chance they'll lose a guy or two again this year. And I think it's so important, especially for a Mets team, that it's not like the late 90s, turn of the century, where you're just going to go out and you're going to go buy a bench and you're going to spend a ton of money. You don't want to spend – I mean, really what, really what they're spending on Diaza, who's making about $5 million this year, that's just not a good value. I hate to sound like that because this is about winning – and I know that when they originally had gotten him, he was going to be a starter. But you don't want to have to go out and spend three, four, five million dollars on those guys. So that's why uh, you want to be able to bring up the Seawalds for the bullpen and and some of these guys. I mean, he, I know he's not playing great, but a Ty Kelly or 
Even a Matt Reynolds, who's a prospect. I mean, Matt Reynolds, to me, profiles, I don't even know if he's really a, a, a I think he's a 4A guy at times, I wonder. But he's a backup, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay to have a guy like that because you don't have to go out and get a veteran who at the very least is going to make $3, 4000000 million. So it, it's in their best interest to really look at these guys and say, okay, uh, you know, can we use these guys in the course of our season? Now, you don't want to lose out, and, and I think that's the mistake they may have made last year where they let a Kelly Johnson go. Now, they got him back. But there is a value to having a little bit of a higher-priced, experienced veteran off the bench. So it's, it's a balance, and it's not an easy one because um, you want to compete for championship, and they will next year. That's, that's going to be the plan, I, I would assume. Uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't. But then at the same time, you don't want to look up in two, three years and say, you know, we really could use that guy, and we could have had him on our bench, and he's just as good as what we had and what we spent a lot of money for. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think next year – you'll see the Mets fill out some bench spots and some bullpen spots with some of the younger guys that just came up this year, like a Smoker and a Rivera and even a Nimmo and stuff like that. Because you do, you have to, you have to, you have to figure out a way to keep Cespedes here. And like it or not, the Mets don't have the checkbook that they used to. So, I mean, that, that could be their whole off season budget for Cespedes. So then you have to figure out, a way to keep your bench strong and your bullpen strong and maybe even second base strong with some of the younger guys coming up through the system. But the good news for the Mets is that they have that talent there. Some of these younger guys that can step in and, I mean, I'm not expecting Chikini to ever give you what Neil Walker did this year, but I, I still think he would be an above-average second baseman. So, I mean, that, that's something they have to work with, and obviously Cespedes is the big first key i mean you have you have to bring him back there's no reason for him not to opt out so once he does it's it it would be a big big loss i mean and that's understating it if Cespedes walks so i mean they they might have to go cheaper in some areas and use some of these younger guys to fill out the 25 for next year yeah absolutely and you know the thing i said i said this at the beginning of the year and look i know the mets have had injuries but when people say, oh, they're decimated by injuries, I said, guys, this was about mid-July. I said, they've only used six starting pitchers this year. That's very reasonable. And as a matter of fact, that's, you're going to need at least three or four more pitchers before the year is out. I don't care how good DeGrom and Mats and Harvey and these guys are because there's rainouts, there's aches and pains, there's, there's a lot of things that happen throughout a season. And I, and I cited every championship team probably from – the last 20 years has gone and probably used at least 8 to 10. And a former pitching coach told me, hey, look, I, you've got to go into spring training and say, who are my 10 guys, and you rank them. You have your core five, and then you go 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now, some of those guys are swing guys out of the bullpen. But what's encouraging is that, and, and again, we'll see how it works as they go two, three times around the league. But you could go to a Lugo. You could go to a Gazelle. Maybe at some point a Montero. Uh, Gil Martin, who I think has been disappointing at times. I mean, even Verrett. Uh, I think in a, in a spot here, a spot there is okay. I think he got exposed because they were overplaying that uh, that component. But they do – listen, they don't have to go out and sign an expensive veteran and stash him either at AAA or put him on the roster when it looks like they have those 8 to 10 guys in the system right now who can give you, even in a pennant race, a quality start. That's very encouraging. It is, and I mean for for next season, I mean the biggest thing you're looking at Really, the only thing they have to do to that rotation is re-sign Bartolo, and then you're right. You've got those nine to ten guys. I mean, that's without talking about a guy like 
Yanoa, who I would personally rather see start right now than Montero. And then you're going to have some other guys that are going to be in double-A next year, like um, Chris Flexen that we I mentioned earlier, and Andrew Church, two guys that have had good seasons this year. So, I mean, the the system isn't bearing with starting pitching, even after trading all those guys like John Gant, like we saw last night. So, I mean, the Mets have done a great job of developing young pitching, and there's, as you can see this year, I mean, without what Lugo and Gazelman have done, they, they wouldn't even be in a playoff race right now if it wasn't for the way those guys have stepped up. Uh, that's a great point. I have with me Michael Mayer from uh, MetsMiners.online, MetsMiners.net, at the main Mets on Twitter. Uh, does a lot of work following the Mets minor league system. The Mets system, ever since the promotions, doesn't really get uh, you know a lot of play. Who cares? I mean, to me, that's all. I mean, you, you, if if you're playing or fans are 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 rooting uh, for rankings and stuff, that's that's when you're not in the pennant race. You know, a system is also about filling guys out, and I think that that's what we've seen. Sure, do you want all-stars? And we're going to get to the guys that may have the most impact in just a minute. But a system is about filling, uh, you know, filling out. Are the Mets a top-10 system? I'm not saying they are. I don't really care. All I can tell you is, listening to you talk today, seeing what I've seen so far, and I don't follow, I don't go to Trenton anymore like I used to, and I, I follow it from a different perspective. You know, I'm looking at, at numbers and, and using experience of numbers and, and listening to what people like you say and other experts and say, okay, does this guy have a chance? The Mets system is not in the bottom part of baseball. There's a lot. Maybe they don't have the all-stars that are going to pop up uh, next year and, and, and the, have the makings of a young uh, a cornerstone uh, infield or outfield, but they have a lot of guys that could help, and I don't think it's a bad system. Do you agree with that? Oh, I definitely agree. I mean, coming into the year, I think someone like Baseball Prospectus even had them ranked as like the 21st system in baseball, which I thought was a joke, but they're – Right now, I mean, they're they're not top ten, but I mean, they're they're hovering right around that, and that's because of they've had some breakout guys in the lower minors. I mean, with guys like Desmond Lindsay, who was their second round pick two years ago, playing healthy for Brooklyn and having a great year. I mean, he's he's close to a top hundred prospect in baseball, and then you have Andres Jimenez, who made his pro debut in the Dominican this year. The Mets signed him for one point two million. Um, last year, and I mean, he's he's another guy that's getting rave reviews. He was actually talked about at the trade deadline. I mean, the Mets had him for less than a year, and teams are asking about him at the trade deadline. He's a uber talented five star tool um, shortstop. I mean, he's he's a good bet to be a top hundred guy. And then talk about someone like uh, Thomas Tabuki, who another guy teams talked about. Um, during the trade deadline and kept asking for a lefty starter that had crazy numbers this year. I mean, he struck out 86 guys in 52 innings, and he's a lefty throwing 97. So, I mean, the the system's stronger, and that's there's some high-end talent there. I mean, I know it's in the lower levels, those guys, but that's without talking about Rosario, who's made himself into one of the top prospects of all in all of baseball and Dominic Smith, who's one of the best first-base prospects in all of baseball. So I, I think I think people kind of just push them aside, the Mets aside, because they traded away all that talent, and then they had guys like Syndergaard and Matt graduate from those lists. So it, they're definitely they're closer to the top ten than they are to the back ten, that's for sure. Let's get to Smith and Rosario. Is it inconceivable 
And it's it's interesting because the Mets will be probably contending, you're assuming, at this time next year. But the fact that they perform well at double A, I don't see any reason why, unless something really crazy happens, that they won't perform well in Vegas next year. And I'm assuming assuming that's where both of them are going to start. Do you have your replacement for Duda maybe maybe they get a maybe they get a shot next year at some point. They fill in for an injury or they play so well and Duda plays so poorly or something happens with Cabrera and Reyes and you don't know. That these guys could could contribute for a period in twenty seventeen. And then I guess if everything goes well and everything goes to script, and I know that that doesn't always happen, are these two guys your starting shortstop and first baseman in 2018? What's what's the track here? It seems like the track to the big leagues is a lot sooner rather than later. And then on top of that, get into a little bit. Are there any concerns? Are there things they need to work on or things that you feel could get in their way from being who everybody thinks they're going to be as a big league player? I mean, both of those guys, like you said, if the Mets are a non-contender next year, I, you could see him in July, but in all likelihood, in all likelihood, with, without catastrophic injuries and maybe Cespedes leaving, things that we don't know about yet, that um, we shouldn't see him then. But I mean, next year, I think they both could contribute at the major league level later in the season if needed. So I, I wouldn't see it as an issue if they got called up. But 2018. Dominic Smith is your first baseman, and Ahmed Rosario is your shortstop. 100% I'm behind that, and I would have little worries in doing so. Now, getting to issues, I mean, Rosario's turned himself into, I mean, he's as close as you get to a 5 tool player. Um, he's still, the second half this year in AA, he struck out a, a little bit higher than you would like to. He's still chasing the breaking ball a little bit. Um, on defense, he kind of um, trusts his strong arm too much and sits back on the ball a little bit and kind of just lets his arm take over. But, I mean, once the game speeds up, you, you can't really do that. you got to come in and charge some of those balls. So, But, I mean, we're, we're, that's still we're talking about two pretty minor things. I mean, he's he's got the speed. He's a great defensive player. He's starting to show some power. And he's already – I mean, he's – the youngest kid in double A and he's already hitting the ball to all fields. He's it's, it's tough not to get excited about Rosario. And then when you talk about Smith, there there's a couple issues there as well. He didn't hit lefties well this year. Um but he he didn't strike out much at all, which is a big plus for a guy that you think's gonna be a middle order of the bat. He hit clean up all year for Binghamton. And I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Smith and the weight with him. I personally don't see it as that big of an issue, but I know other people like Keith Law have talked about it and uh he has he he's he's put on some weight this year, but I mean I've seen him in person and I watch him on TV and the extra 10 to 15 pounds or whatever you want to call it hasn't it hasn't slowed down his defense which is still tremendous at first and it, it didn't slow down his offenses he actually got better as the year went along so it's it's something that he knows that he has to deal with i've talked to him and he he knows that it's part of his eating habits and something that he needs to work on but uh i trust that's something he's going to work on in the off season and go to the barwis camp and uh get himself into better playing shape and i, I don't see any reason why 
those guys aren't in the Mets infield for a long time to come, kind of like when we had Reyes and Wright. You mentioned the Barwis camp. With some of the injuries, and I've seen some chatter about this over at Metsmarized Online, guys who are into you know working out and what have you. Do you think the Barwis camp is something the Mets need to evaluate because of some of the uh, the back injuries that you've seen? I don't know if that has contributed to Duda. I think Duda's definitely participated in that. Wright had issues before, but I know that he's been involved with that. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about Neil Walker. You brought up Barwis, uh, sort of a celebrity type of uh, uh, trainer situation that Jeff Wilpon brought in. What um are you have any thoughts on that? Because it does impact some of these kids and 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 how they can stay healthy and what have you. Um, all the guys I've talked to have raved about it. Um, like Seth Lugo, for instance, he did it this year, and I talked to him while he was doing it, and he said he felt great. It was a huge thing that helped him get ready for the season. Uh, uh, Louis Guillerme, uh, minor league shortstop for St. Lucie, he, he did it this year too and said he felt great, and it really helped him kind of beef up a little bit because he needed to try to add a little weight and add some power to his offensive game. So I think from every one of the minor leaguers I've talked to, they've really enjoyed it, and it's something that they would go back and do again. So uh, as long as it's helping some of these guys develop and um, get bigger, stronger, and kind of help add to their game, I mean, I I don't see any issue with it in my opinion. So. Uh, a couple of questions here from Michael Mayer, who's joined us here before we go, uh, at the main Mets on Twitter, MetsMiners.net. Uh, you brought up, and I want to get into you know, your thoughts of some guys who aren't being talked about that maybe we haven't mentioned that, 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 that are under the radar here in this, uh, this organization. But I don't know if this guy falls into it, but for me at least, you know, when he won the batting title for Binghamton, like Phillip Evans, I mean, let, me, let me look a little bit at this guy. Uh, hit 335 this year. Uh, you know, similar to Chichini, looks like he he he's a doubles guy, gap guy. Doesn't walk a ton. Um, it's kind of an outlier season compared to what he did in uh, in Brooklyn and St. Lucie and what have you. Is this a, a sleeper guy in the organization? Is this a surprise? I mean, talk about him. Talk. Give me as we wrap up here some of the guys in the organization that aren't being talked about that. Uh, all of a sudden you feel as we go into next year could be part of a, a larger conversation. Yeah, I think Evans has had a really nice year, and I think he could have a future as a utility-type guy, but I I think that's kind of the ceiling with him. He's the second, he's third, getting, short type of guy? Yeah, yeah, he can play all those spots. But uh, like you said, he doesn't walk a ton, and he's hit into a very good luck this year. Um, so. I think, I think he's a guy that could help, but I, I don't see him as I don't ever see him as a guy who starts in the big leagues. But like we said earlier, I mean, a TJ Rivera type guy does have value, so he it'll definitely be interesting to see if um, they add him to the forty man roster this year. Uh, a guy I would talk about is uh, David Thompson, third baseman who they drafted two years ago. Um, he actually led the entire Mets minor leagues with 95 RBIs, and that was only in 116 games because he, he did was on the DL for a little bit. So he started in Columbia and finished in St. Lucie. Uh, he's a third baseman, so he obviously gets he gets talked about a little bit because everyone's waiting for that heir apparent to write. Um, he had some questions coming into his pro career with his arm, 
because he actually had the same surgery that Matt Harvey had. Um, so there's some questions there, but he, from all accounts that I've seen and everyone I've talked to, he's played very well defensively. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that drove in 95 runs, hit 34 doubles, and played good defense at third. So there's still some questions if that arm holds up long-term and if he's going to hit enough power for the position, but definitely a, a guy to keep an eye on, that's for sure. Well, Michael, what do you have coming up? Uh, we've talked a lot about the system, the 40-man. You know, you give us a lot of information. Uh, obviously, the minor league s- season's over. Uh, everybody will be watching uh, the wild card race for the next three weeks into hopefully what could potentially be a, a deep postseason run for the Mets. What do you got coming up? Obviously, the offseason, MetsMiners.net. I'm sure there's tons of stuff to talk about, prospect lists, uh, recaps, and looking forward. Uh, give the listeners an idea of what they can expect from you. Well, the Arizona Fall League that starts um, actually starts a month from today, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, you got Nito, who's going to be there, and actually Chikini was headed there, but uh, I highly doubt that uh, now. Well, for the mo- for now, he'll be with the Mets, obviously. And then I kind of I'm kind of in charge of keeping tabs on all the stuff that happens happens in winter league ball where uh, it'll be interesting to see this year if Ligaris, because he always plays in the Winter League, if he can go out there and play healthy. And Rosario, it hasn't been, he hasn't got the official confirmation yet, but he's he's supposed to be going to the um, Dominican Winter League and playing too. So it's there's there's still plenty of tabs to be paying attention to in the the off season, even with the minor league season over. So it. It'll be interesting to see some of these guys play and get some more reps that they need to get and uh, keep progressing. Like last year, Dominic Smith played in the Arizona Fall League, played well, and uh, I think it kind of put him in position to have a great year this year. Can't can't uh, can't disagree. It's tons of stuff to talk about and and a lot of positive stuff about the Mets, uh, the depth in the system. And, and I said, like I said a couple of weeks ago. Sandy Alderson drafts are going to come to play now. Now let's see what what the Mets brought Sandy Alderson and his team in for. Uh, your you know the dividends are starting to get paid a little bit, and 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 that's nice to see. Michael, appreciate it here on a Sunday. Um, uh, we'll we'll catch up again. Always enjoy your work and uh, be well. And we'll talk soon. Alrighty. Awesome, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And that's Michael Mayer at the Main Mets on Twitter. Uh, check out MetsMiners.net and uh, of course MetsMarsOnline.com. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I'll wrap up. Final thoughts right after this. And he cracks one to center field. That goes Peraza to the warning track. At the wall. It's out of here. Yoannis Cespedes turns the game around with a two-run homer. The big guy with the big hit, number 28 for Cespedes in the Mets lead, four to three. We're back. Final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast. You just heard from Michael Mayer, and uh, once again, check out Michael on Twitter at the Main Mets. Uh, MetsMiners.net, which is the sister site of uh, MetsMarsedOnline.com. Amazing that it's actually already football season and uh, week one of the NFL. And here we are talking baseball, Mets in the middle of a, 
of a race here. Jets with a tough loss, uh, a really loaded sports Sunday, especially when you have the baseball and the football and the fantasy football now and the pennant race. Those weekends, especially those Sundays, and if you're a college football fan, forget it. You get, you get loaded Saturday and Sunday sports days. You don't get a lot done around the house. I mean, it's almost like, hey, I'll see you. I'll see you after the Super Bowl, and then you get a little lull because there's spring training, and you, you can take a little break there unless you're an NBA fan. Even the NBA, kind of that uh, that lull of the season, February and, into before March Madness, and just a lot going on. So anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. A little chance to uh, to talk Mets baseball, and uh, of course, like I keep telling you, it, it, a big week coming up for the New York Mets, and it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, what transpires, and, uh, and to see if these young young kids, some of them making big uh, strides, making big contributions, can continue to do so as part of this, uh, what I, like I said, somewhat un- unlikely run. Hey, I want to thank uh, Michael Mayer for joining me today. Of course, you could check out the show, uh, com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and check me out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting service you so desire. Have a great rest of the Sunday. I'm your host, Mike Silva. I'll see you next week. Brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.